Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. This is episode 26, Leadership or Management. And I am your host, Greg Knott, along with my co-host. Hi, I'm Darren Laners. And we are very privileged to have with us tonight a newly minted Midnight Freemason contributor, Chris Hathaway. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast Thank you for joining us. Thank you, brother. And I'm glad to be here and ready to get started. You know, we always kind of start out asking everybody a little bit about themselves. And uh, why don't you give us some of your Masonic history and uh, things you've been involved with and uh, take it from there. All right. So my Masonic history started off a little interesting. My grandpa had always been a Mason growing up and... When I turned 18, I was uh, in high school and heavily involved in extracurriculars. So I didn't join right away. I left for the Army less than 10 days after graduating high school. So didn't become a Mason then. While I was in the Army, I started doing some research on what exactly the Masons were, what organization was my grandpa in. And I thought I would join in the Army and then come back and kind of surprise them. Well, we got deployed a few months into my term. And when I got there, uh, coincidentally, there was a Prince Hall Lodge out of Washington State on base. And they were having meetings, initiations, and several of my friends joined. And I was going to go in and get my entered apprentice with them. And we got to talking and... They thought it'd be best just to wait and join my grandpa's lodge when I got home. So I was kind of disappointed, but I understood. And so we got back to uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I said, okay, I'm going to join the Grand Lodge in North Carolina and then come back and show them I'm a Mason. Well, I emailed probably three or four different lodges, and this was in 2011, so uh, lodges were a lot further behind on technology than we are even today. So none of the lodges emailed me back and I was like, man, this must be like top secret stuff. Like I, I can't get in. So it's like, I'll wait till I join my grandpa's lodge. So a few years later in 2013, when I got out of the army, I finally talked to my grandpa about it and I joined Catlin Lodge. About that time I was enrolled in Illinois State University and I was working part-time at State Farm. I didn't really have time for lodge meetings. And my grandpa was like, you need to join the Scottish Rite. I was like, I don't have time to join the Scottish Rite. He's like, too bad. Show up in, in the spring. I've already paid your dues. That's your birthday present. See you there. So I joined the Scottish Rite. Um, I was able to uh, participate, which I wasn't able to do for Blue Lodge. So that really kept me engaged for two to three years uh, while I was uh, attending school and working nights. So 
I was able to get in the leadership in the Scottish Rite fairly uh, quickly after I joined. I joined the Rose Croy line, and I've been in the line for, this is year six, and I'm currently the most wise master in the Scottish Rite. So I think that's kind of interesting. You volunteered for the Army, but got drafted into the Scottish Rite. That's uh, kind of ironic. And then, really, it's frankly our, probably our uh, privilege that those North Carolina lodges didn't respond because you may not have been as active here in Illinois as uh, as you would have been if you had joined down there. It's, uh, I'd say it's a good thing in uh, in hindsight. The reason we've asked Chris to kind of come on this episode to talk about leadership or management, he completed an MBA uh, this past year at the University of Illinois. And he and I have the privilege of being alums of the same two institutions, both Illinois State and University of Illinois. And I thought somebody fresh out of one of those programs will have kind of the current um, views and, and trainings and uh, academic uh, work in this topic area. But then Chris also has been, uh, at least in my view, very much a leader. And we'll talk a difference between a leader and a manager as we get into this. but. I've observed him from, you know, kind of afar, you might say, and watched him grow and uh, seen you take increasingly uh, active roles in Scottish Rite, and I know you're involved in other things as well. And so that's why when Darren and I were talking, we both thought you would be just a, a great person to have on uh, here for leadership and uh, the management topic. So why don't you, if you can, Chris, talk, you know, about, what goes on in an MBA today, and, and do you talk about leadership and management? And then we'll kind of uh, go from there. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, so funny story, when I started my MBA uh, at the University of Illinois, I was also elected uh, senior warden in the normal lodge. And the timing was supposed to work out where I wouldn't start the MBA program for a year uh, a year later, but I started right away. And my first act as senior warden, I guess, was calling my good friend, worshipful brother Longfellow, and inviting him out to lunch and telling him he would be without a senior warden for that Masonic year um, because my grad school would be at night, Monday and Wednesdays, uh, so I wouldn't be able to attend Lodge. But yeah, business school, they go into great detail on what makes a leader and what makes a manager. Uh, oftentimes, we think those are interchangeable terms, and they can be looked at as uh, one and the same, but really, to me, they're two separate things. And, I mean, if you just look at the root word in leadership and management, leadership is for leaders and management is managers. And to me, leaders, the difference that leaders inspire people where managers dictate, leaders open pathways where managers typically would try to control things, leadership's coach, management's more of a top-down approach. And I think um, some examples when you look at people that that are business leaders or the movers and shakers in government or whatever, you always hear them referred to as leaders. You don't say they're great managers. You say they're great leaders. And if you look at it from, from a sports point of view, especially at the quarterback position in football, the great quarterbacks are always talked about as being great leaders, where as the mediocre quarterbacks, a great compliment would be they manage the game well because they kind of 
hand the ball off and step out of the way. And I think in a way that's a difference between management and leadership as well, where managers, they kind of put the pieces in play and kind of step back where leaders are out front and uh, really inspiring others to make the changes. I've always been fascinated by military leadership, probably because I like history. When you think of your experience in the military, I mean, certainly you saw leaders, but did you see more leaders or more managers? And maybe contrast that to what you see in the corporate environment, how, of course, there are two different atmospheres, obviously, but if you can't compare a leader in the military to a leader in, you know, corporate America. Yeah, so leadership in the military is constantly evolving. You often see the drill sergeant barking orders on TV and everyone falling in line, and that's how it is in training. But military leadership often shapes the future corporate uh, leadership. When I was in, we were, everything was about servant leadership, which is exactly what's being preached out in the corporate environment now. Leaders in the military, they do have to be a lot more authoritative and they have a lot more control over the daily lives of their people. But the basic concepts of coaching and inspiring are the same. The best leaders in the military didn't have to send out orders to make their uh, soldiers do what they wanted. They would create a plan and a strategy and they would execute it because they wanted to achieve the results. I would say that the best leaders in both environments are often the same, but in the corporate world, it is a little more gentler. They ask more rather than demand, but the the concept of of leading from the front and uh, servant leadership are being preached in both environments right now. Let me ask you both a question. Uh, for Blue Lodge, the executive officer, if you will, is the worship master. And do you see the worship master's role more as that of a leader or that of a manager? When I looked at it, I was, I was uh, writing down my notes tonight, and when I look at a Masonic Lodge, I think there's a role for management and a role for leadership, but 90% of our officers need to be leaders, and maybe the 10% would be managers. And I think the the treasurer and the secretary are in a great spot to be managers where they help keep the wills on, keep the pieces uh, going, whereas the worshipful master and the wardens, they really need to be the leaders of the lodge that inspire change and movement. And then you have your secretary that really keeps us in order and manages the the business and financials of the the lodge. Greg, what are your thoughts about that? I think I agree with Chris. You know, the the worshipful, especially, you know, at least the, the guys that I've come see have come through the chair in the various lodges I'm affiliated with. Some have been leaders. Some have been managers. Some I've been maybe argue were not maybe very effective at either one of those. The leader part to me, if he could, if the master can be a leader, then that means he can also inspire others and, and uh, encourage others to come along and, and help share in the work. So much of the time, the master ends up doing 90% of the work, except for maybe the secretary and, you know, the treasurer role we talked about. To make anything happen, it seems like the master doing most of it. And then when that master rotates out, then so much of the continuity is gone. And then I was thinking about that today when we were 
you know, when I was throwing those questions together is, and this is something I've even thrown back to both Darren and, and, and Chris, how can we encourage the line? You know, most, most lodges are using the progressive line. How can, you know, if you have a very successful master, how can he work with those that are coming behind him to, to keep that momentum going? Cause so oftentimes, you know, you get a master that does do a lot of work and things seem to be clicking along and, and all of a sudden within a, you know, a couple of years, that master's, you know, rotated out and others have filled the chair and then the momentum seems to get lost. What, what are you guys thoughts on how do you keep that momentum going? I think it comes down to something that we've touched on in earlier episodes called succession planning. And in, in a way it, touches on mentorship. So one of the things I'm doing in St. Joe, and Travis, if you're listening, this may be a surprise. I know we've talked about it, but I am going to uh, sit Travis down, make, not, make sure that not only does he, you know, is he comfortable with the ritual and opening, closing, opening one, two, three, all that fun stuff that a worshipful master needs to know, but also the ins and out kind of of managing the lodge and uh, it's funny both of you uh have a different take on the worshipful master position than than i have i i i found it kind of depends on the lodge and i would say i'm much more of a manager at saint joe than i would be at, at home or where i think i'm more of a leader and i think that's due to the psychology of the lodge if you will so you have these different egos these different personalities and each lodge is is different so especially at saint joe i think with travis coming in it's going to be his first time through the in the east uh he needs someone to mentor him if not me then who so my goal is to you know take him mentor him and i think my hope is that he pays it forward that somewhere around the down the line where there's uh, a kid who's younger than him or uncomfortable and and not really sure what he's supposed to do in his chair that Travis will you know take that opportunity and mentor that person and, and pay forward what, what I'm doing at least that's my hope so to answer your question Greg I, I think it is it boils down to mentoring uh, the people behind you and making sure that they're all comfortable with the idea of what they're supposed to do that next year. And we'll discuss this as another point, but I'll just raise it here. I'm not sure that we do a good job of setting those expectations. Yeah, and I'll say uh, mentorship is absolutely critical to keep the succession of the lodge going. One thing that we're going to try and what I've always said is, you know, a lot of people think we have a initiation problem. Well, I think if we just kept our past masters um, in the lodge, once they're out of the East, we would raise uh, attendance by 50% or more. So one of the things we're doing is when you leave the East, you'll become the marshal of the lodge. And you'd also act as the lodge education officer that year. So in January, I'll become the marshal. This will be the second year in a row that the lodge is doing that and i hope it continues and as long as the master knows that he's no longer the master and kind of sit back and be that mentor to the new master and uh, provide education to the lodge 
uh, leaders coming up, I think it'll be a successful program. One of the, the other things that I've seen happen with uh, Masonic leadership is we set guys up for failure. So we tell them that it's going to be easy. They've never had a leadership role or they haven't been a Mason that long. We put them in a chair and they don't succeed or in their mind, they don't succeed and they get embarrassed and then you never see them again. So we really need to be intentional and set expectations like you were saying, Darren, up front before we offer them the job. We can't just fill people with warm bodies and expect them to stick around for a long time because we all know Masons are very proud people. And once you burn someone's ego, it's kind of hard to get them back. Yeah, that's some good observations, Chris. I, I like that idea of the the past master immediately going to the marshal. You know, so many times they'll become the Tyler and it's kind of like, you know, you're either literally or figuratively placing them outside the room and, you know, you, you wonder, well, you know, what good did that do? I like that idea of the marshal and education officer because they're still there. They're still involved. And you're right about, and, and I've noticed this at St. Joe. It's, so many of our past masters, once they've gone through, they're just gone. And what you lose is that institutional memory and probably some of the continuity things we spoke about earlier, uh, are just, they just walk out the door. And I think part of it is because so many times the master is carrying the load for the lodge that you're burned out by the time your term is up and you're just like, well, let me take a break. You miss a couple months, then it becomes six months and then a year. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, Oh, it's just easier not to go. And I've, I've seen that just so many times. And it's like your, you know, your most experienced members, they walk out and don't come back. So I think Chris, you're exactly right on, uh, encouraging them to come and, and, you know, not only helping with attendance, but tapping their wisdom and knowledge, uh, in the lodge to Darren, to your point, I, agree 100% about the mentoring and I think you're, you're just going to do Travis a, a big favor by being that mentor to him you already are and uh, and I've watched him grow and you know and he's coming right along and I think he'll he'll have a good year as master but a lot of that'll be to the credit Darren that you'll have uh, I'm working with him and I think that's exactly what masonry to me is about it's that one-to-one relationship of encouraging uh, people as they come along and grow and things like that. Let me, you touched on servant leadership, Chris, earlier. And that is one of, to, to me, one of the most interesting topics in the leadership realm of things. And the way I've always kind of thought about it, it's, you know, others before yourself, but yet, uh, you do the work selflessly, so you know, unselfishly, and you inspire, you try to inspire others by doing that. And you don't, a servant leader is not doing it for, to gain attention to themselves, but it's almost like there's, they have a sense of duty. And by performing that sense of duty, hopefully they inspire others to, to come along and, I'd be curious of what both of your thoughts are on servant leadership. Yeah, I'm glad we came back to that because there was a point I wanted to make. One of my favorite lines in the 18th degree in the Scottish Rite, basically it says, when you become a perfect Prince Freemason, you become a leader who also serves. 
Now, when that ritual was written, servant leadership wasn't a buzzword, wasn't mainstream leadership. So we have a pretty old ritual that's telling us our Scottish Rite people that to be a true leader, you need to serve, a leader who also serves. So by saying also serves, that's that's a new concept when that, when that was written. And I think it's becoming mainstream that leaders know that they're only as good as their team. So to me, a leader, a servant leadership asks what the needs are of the team to get the job done. They provide them with what they need and they kind of step out of the way and uh, let them do their job where I see more of a management where they give them the task and they also dictate how that task is going to get done and when it's going to get done. So that's, what I think about servant leadership. Darren, what do you think? Well, I think that uh, the entire concept of the officers within the Masonic Lodge, basically servant leadership. Uh, I mean, if you think about how the lodge is arranged and the roles of each officer, each officer has a specific duty, but those duties are for the benefit of the other lodge members. For example, the junior warden, his duty is to superintend the brethren during refreshment and make sure that they don't use the means of refreshment to intemperance or excess. And then obeying the worship master, they call those the craftsmen back to labor from refreshment. With that role or with any other role that, that within the Masonic Lodge, each officer is basically working as a servant of the lodge body and all the members of the lodge. And what I think is really unique about that is that this concept is probably more than 300 years old. I mean, we know it's at least 300 based upon when the first Grand Lodge uh, met in England in 1717. We know that Freemasonry is much older than that. So I think that, that if we really look closely at it, what we see is that this concept of servant leadership has been around for a very long time, at least within the Masonic Lodge itself. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, Chris, your observation's right. I mean, the, the term servant leadership, uh, you know, came out of a, from a gentleman named Greenleaf. And has kind of evolved in the last, you know, 40 years, I think, since the late seventies. But I think, Darren, your point is there as well, is that, you know, you go back and look throughout the 300 years, the one consistency we, we have had is that's been passed down is that ser service to the lodge, to the craft, to your others. And of course, maybe it goes to the whole principle of what we're supposed to be doing. Is make that the, you know, the old infamous saying, making good men better, but making you better so that you go out into the community and use those skills that, that you've learned in the lodge and apply them to everyday life, whether that is at your work or, you know, civic club you're in or, or whatever it is and bringing those things out. And in other episodes, we've talked about, you know, professional development and, do we do enough and we don't? But I guess let me, let me spin it to this kind of a question. How could we do a better job of preparing 
those that are coming after us. So we've talked about mentoring. Are there any examples or any anything you, either one of you, could come up with to implement to how either we develop a Grand Lodge program or maybe it's just one in your own Blue Lodge? What do you think we could do to help maybe raise the bar to prepare the people, to prepare the men as they come through the chairs to maybe eventually be totally prepared for the East? Let me, let me throw it to Chris for his first reaction. Yeah, so here in Illinois, we actually have a very good, uh, it's called the Handbook for Officer Advancement. You don't see it very much, but it lays out all the duties and obligations of each officer. So I think if, you know, if we just looked in our own resources and pulled it out and educated folks, we'd save ourselves a lot of time and uh, do a lot of good. One of the things, uh, going back to servant leadership, like Darren was saying, we are the epitome of servant leadership because we don't have any wages to offer our members. If they don't want to come, they don't come. We're not providing them with shelter or with, uh, you know, with wages. So it's an all-volunteer gig. So we need one of the first things they taught us in business school was you're going to be limited at your company with with promotions and raises and bonuses. So you have to find ways other than money to motivate people. And really money's isn't always the best motivation to get people to act anyway. So the better you are creating new ways to get people to achieve results, uh, the better off you'll be. Since I was fresh out of business school, one of the first things I did for my lodge was to develop a vision and a mission statement and, a mission statement's uh, short-term uh, goal, where the vision statement is what you want to achieve in the future. And my uh, mission statement was to give members Masonic light through personal development, community engagement, and meaningful fellowship. And I wrote that based off the, the ritual from the senior warden, where he's supposed to pay the craft their wages, if any be due. Well, we don't have wages, so what are the wages? And like you were saying, Greg, uh, to me, the wages are a personal development, engaging with our community and really having that that good uh, fellowship, uh, that parking lot talk that you guys mentioned in the last meeting. And then once you have those wages in your pocket, the vision of the lodge and uh, my lodge was to be the premier lodge in central Illinois where we can inspire our members to be better Masons so that they can become leaders in their home, their communities, and their place of worship. So we equip them in the lodge, send them out in the community to spend their spend their wages and get results as leaders and come back to lodge and rinse and repeat. Darren, what do you see that we could, how do we strengthen the line, strengthen those we talked about Travis as senior warden. What else could we do further down the line in addition to mentoring and things? What, what, what kind of ideas do you have? Well, I think Chris hit on one earlier where he had mentioned that not everyone wants to be in, in the line. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that due to uh, declining membership at the meetings, that we're often just taking the people that show up and putting them in a, in a chair and kind of, uh, proverbially throwing them to the wolves. I think that 
One of the things that I did this past year was uh, we have a younger member of our lodge. Uh, Jacob is his name. And I asked Jacob if he was willing to go to the junior warden's chair or if he wanted to uh, take another chair and just kind of sit and observe. But but you give them a choice. You ask them what they want instead of deciding what they want for them. And uh, as we're talking leadership or management, I think that's more uh, the style of uh, a leader when you pull someone aside or you have a one-on-one conversation with uh, an individual and, and ask them what they want or what their desire is or how they want to grow themselves. And whereas manager would just say, okay, you're sitting in this chair. I've decided because I'm virtual master done. Uh, I think we need to be more leaders and we need to, to understand what our members want uh, from young to old. And if they want to be an officer, if they don't want to be an officer, that's something that we need to try to understand and and support. They're not everyone's going to want to be in the officer line. And I unfortunately think that we put a lot of people in the line just because, as Chris mentioned earlier, he said the term warm body, we're throwing warm bodies in chairs. I don't necessarily think that's uh, a, a way to, to run uh, a lodge. Uh, I think that you have to have uh, obviously you'll have to have the members to uh, open the lodge you have to have quorum but uh, not everyone is going to be comfortable in being an officer you know being in the progressive line so understanding that and understanding that uh, you need to find people that would be willing to be in the line if there are those that are not is key to a lodge's growth and success. One of the issues that we have at St. Joe, and I've mentioned this before and uh, on the podcast and articles that I've written for the Midnight Freemasons, is that we've not had a new member in two years. And we're not getting that fresh blood in. We're recycling the members. So I was very lucky to be able to put Jacob, honestly, in the chaplain's seat or another chair and have enough bodies to fill the other chairs to be able to open the lodge because uh, a lot of lodges, I don't think, have that luxury. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act, but I think we need to understand what our members want and we need to form our individual lodge strategy around that. I think at Chris's Lodge, and I'm, I don't know Chris, I'm assuming that's normal, but maybe it's uh, one of the lodges in Bloomington you belong to. Uh, the vision and mission statements, I think, are, are awesome, and I would hope that every lodge would have a similar one. Every lodge should want to be the best lodge in their area. I just think that we also have to take into consideration our members and their wants and desires as well. Yeah, great points. One of the questions I was throwing out there I was thinking about and I threw it on our list was can you uh can you have leadership without management in other words can let's just say every everybody in the room is capable and they all want to be leaders but is it possible that they can all be leaders and not have the management uh aspect of things Chris so I think you need someone in the lodge that has management skills but I don't think you can just have all leaders with no management. Uh, 
Um, there does have to be someone that's reviewing the rules, the bylaws, the, the tax code, keeping everyone in line. Um, sometimes leaders, they inspire and they have ideas, but they may not execute the best. And I think that's where you can have management skills come into place that keeps people on time and keeps the the resources coming in. So I think the management is the baseline of leadership. So you can't have leadership without management, but you can have a bunch of managers that may not necessarily have any leadership skills in the room. Yeah. And I think Darren, your point either or earlier about, you know, the difference between your role at St. Joe versus Homer. I think part of it is, yeah, you've been, uh, because of, you know, we've had a lot of work done on the building and, and things like that. You've been forced into more of a, of a management role because we needed to work through all of those issues and they, we had to get a loan and you find, uh, we had to get the contractor, et cetera. There were so many operational things that had to be done. And I know, of course, your aspirations and mine as well is to not only grow that lodge, but, you know, have more education and things like that. We've been stuck on the the management side of it, on the facilities, getting all those done. And hopefully I, I see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. We've been talking about some other things of how we're, we are going to grow the membership again, that we can get out of that management mode and then go to the, the leadership mode, which will, I think will help the growth uh, again. And so it's um, so you, you do need both. And so it's almost, I think, Chris, you said, you know, if you got all those pieces in place, whether that's the secretary or the treasurer or somebody doing that, that really frees up the master to be the leader and, and liberates others to really do what a lodge is supposed to do. And that is uh, help, help men grow to be better Freemasons. And, and then, you know, go in the community things we talked about. And so it's, I, I think lodges get stuck in these ruts where all they talk about is management issues and don't give the members enough of what they want on the other side of it or a reason to come back. Cause I mean, and, and Darren, we, we've both been through How many times can you talk about a roof where you just say, well, I don't really need to go to that meeting to talk about it again. And so you, you run the risk if that's all you do as a lodge is management issues, the reading the minutes and all the things we talk about or laugh about it in terms of how meetings are boring. If you can get beyond those, then you flip the coin and get back to me, the leadership side. And that's, that's where you'll, you'll grow again. So Darren, any reaction to those thoughts? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, by necessity, uh, we have at St. Joe had, uh, I personally have had to take on a management role, uh, not only due to the roof, but also due to the current situation with COVID. I'm basically managing day by day. Are we going to have a meeting? Is it going to be virtual? What's the situation with our membership? Uh, we've had a couple mem. We've had a member that uh, contracted COVID. Managing that situation, making sure that they're taken care of. Uh, also, making sure the members that uh, have been in quarantine. Uh, making sure that they're taken care of if they need assistance, making sure that they're, you know, we're contacting the Grand Lodge appropriate programs to get them the help that they need. So it's been very much by necessity, I think, more of a 
year where I've had to manage uh, instead of lead, there's not been a lot of uh, opportunity to to do leadership. Uh, you know, in the past, my past year at St. Joe's, my second term through the chair, we had more opportunities. So we were able to have a trunk or treat and have members of the community come and give donate uh, food items for our local food pantry and, uh, you know, give them candy in return. We had a good time with that. We had a good turnout with that. Just by necessity of situation, it has been a, I think, year for many of us to manage instead of lead. Uh, that being said, uh, we've touched on a previous episode regarding talent development. And I think that kind of also goes hand in hand here with what uh, we're discussing uh, regarding the succession planning and how do we get uh, the rest of the line or how do we get our members of the line uh, ready for the years ahead? And I think, you know, we've discussed the mentoring portion of that, but uh, we've not really touched on more, I guess, practical training. And Chris did bring up the officer advancement handbook. And uh, as he said, it's a very good resource. I, I, It's one of the resources I honestly wish that uh, Grand Lodge would implement more emphasis on uh, for uh, the membership. I know that we have, uh, they do Grand Lodge schools where we go over certain ritual, but I honestly think that we would benefit, members would benefit from a Grand Lodge program or school where we discuss the officer's advancement handbook and go over the expectations, go over what uh, job duties you have, if you will, for uh, each particular chair. I think that would be beneficial for the members. I know personally that uh, a lot of it was just kind of the first year through when you're worship master, it's, it's learning uh, it's baptism by fire, if you will. I would personally like to see more of a structure program built around that framework where uh, Grand Lodge, and even if it's at the district level or, or whatever, the DDGM maybe at uh, t- uh, having a workshop to review these uh, items once a year. I think that'd be beneficial. And this may be an opportunity for the appendant bodies to really show their support for our Blue Lodges. As I know, the Scottish Rite Northern Masonic Jurisdiction is really putting a lot of resources into officer training and advancement, and even Shriners International just rolled out a new officer school. So if they can step in and pull their resources together to train the Blue Lodge members and officers, I think it'd be beneficial for both because you're only getting new members from the Blue Lodges, and without the leadership at that level, then your organization is going to dry up as well. So I hope that we uh, keep promoting uh, the Blue Lodges in our appendant bodies and drive down those leadership schools and thought processes. And I will say, Darren, I think you've underestimated uh, your leadership that you've shown in the, certainly in the calendar year 2020, because you have managed all those situations, but I actually would easily argue that you've shown tremendous leadership by taking the initiative to to manage. I mean, and it kind of goes, sometimes I don't separate 
leadership from management. I do from in terms of what they are, but uh, for me, you you have to have effective amounts of both. And it's, sometimes you're just you're changing your hat minute by minute as to which one you're doing. But I think Darren, uh, in in your case, you have shown leadership, good leadership in my view, because we've kept the lodge going. And I mean, you and I've worked at home for almost a year. And uh, I was, we were talking about this at work the other day, how you have to be much more deliberate now on communications. You just don't happen to bump into people in the hallway or the break room or wherever. And uh, the Masonic Lodge really has been the same. We've had to be, use communication at a much higher level uh, to keep people informed and to keep things on track. And so in, in my view, Darren, you've done a, a good job at leadership in addition to management because without the leadership, the inertia wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have even accomplished what we have this year. And I, I think you'll look back when this year's over say, you know, we really did do a lot. We may not have done where we want to go with some of the membership development things, but uh, you, you have shown a lot of leadership. Chris, I like your point too about of the appendant bodies. I think they can have a great role in developing our leaders. Because uh, as you said, they only exist if we exist. And uh, as the lights seem to continue to go out on lodges that close or merge, I think most of those do close because they get to such small in numbers and they're really not producing, they're, they're not leading or managing anymore, I would probably argue. And as those lights get turned out, that just exasperates the membership problems all through the, uh, the Masonic cycle. And I think the lights could stay on in a lot of lodges. If the members were coming in and, and the leadership was developed, but once that doesn't happen, it just doesn't take too long that you don't make quorum and then all of a sudden you're, you're looking to merge with somebody else. And most mergers don't really produce a stronger lodge necessarily. It's just maybe two weak lodges going together because they, they probably didn't have leadership uh, either. So I think Darren, where you talked about the DDGMs and um, and these things, uh, what it made me think about is, is Masonic education, we, we mostly think about it esoteric or history or things, but it looks like here's a topic that can plug right in that is, is needed arguably probably more than the esoteric things if you had to rank order things in terms of strengthening where Freemasonry is today is these leadership programs, and, and I think they would be well-received. And uh, I think it's probably an idea we ought to kick around in, in your uh, area education officer role, but I think uh, there's there's an awful lot of uh, opportunity opportunity there. Let me ask you guys a, a, another question. Who are your leaders that you admire? From politics, from business, from community... And, and, and why, why would you pick them? And let me, let me start with Chris. And maybe you have one, maybe you have more than one, but who, who comes to mind when I bring that question to you? Yes. When I was looking at this question, a lot of people came to mind and I'm hesitant to actually put any name on it. Uh, what we are today, the way we pick apart people, it's really hard to pick one leader without the, their fault showing up and we're all human. So. I take a lot of examples from from many leaders, and the one thing I look at is, are they honest? Do they help 
you succeed or are they trying to fill their own mission? So what are, what are they doing for their team? I look for someone that is passionate and has convictions. Someone that's going to be there no matter what to see the mission through. So for me, it's not a particular person, but just a set of ideals that many of our political and uh, business leaders today have. And I try to take what they do well and put it in my toolkit and not really judge them overall as a person because I know eventually they're going to say something or let me down in one way or another. So I, I really just try to disassociate the, the people and just look at the traits. Interesting. That's, that's a good way to look at it. Darren? That's a, it's a difficult question. Uh, I would say probably one of the historical figures that I most look at uh is abraham lincoln and uh yeah i'm a bit of a homer since i live in illinois and uh it is the land of lincoln but i think just uh if you study the man's life you can find so many examples of, of leadership and management uh but a lot of character a lot of intelligence a lot of leading by I would say leading by example. Uh, so I, I definitely think that, that Lincoln would be up there for me. As, as to Chris's point, modern day, I also would hesitate to, to name anyone just because of, uh, just the nature, unfortunately, of where we are in society. As Chris said, a good leader is one that puts his ego aside and leads for the good of the people that uh, he is leading and he doesn't look at his personal glory. He has a, a, a goal of benefiting those around him with, with his leadership. And those are the type of leaders I, I look at throughout history. And I think, you know, that's why Lincoln appeals to me. I, I think just the ability to hold our union together during uh, one of the darkest times in American history speaks volumes to the type of man and, and leader that he was. So I would, I would definitely say Lincoln and then any other leader that kind of has those similar traits. I think you're right about you, you risk naming somebody from present day, knowing that they're a human and going to be imperfect and in the social media environment we're in that they're going to be ripped apart. Yeah, I agree. I think um, you, you do pick up parts from, this person you like and then that other person you like and you try to bring those into and apply them into to what you're doing. If, if I had to name one figure I, I didn't know much about was uh, Dwight Eisenhower. And uh, I was listening to this talk show one late one night and his granddaughter was on there, uh, Susan Eisenhower. And she had written a book, uh, How Ike Led the Principles Behind Eisenhower's Biggest Decisions. You know, and so, of course, I knew he was the five-star general in, in World War II and led the D-Day invasion and, and all this, and then later became president. But it was so – and so I ended up – I bought the book on Audible and listened to it. But it was so interesting to learn about him throughout his life and the things that shaped his way he made decisions. And uh especially it talked about when he was president. And it was funny how uh, really little I knew about him. Uh of course, we'd won the war, and he was obviously extremely popular with all the, the World War II generation and all those that had been in the service, so much that both political parties wanted him to run for president. 
ends up he ran as a Republican and got elected. But it was funny. He, he never he never seemed too really worried about the party label. It, it's almost like the servant leadership. Again, the, 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 the phrase wasn't coined when he was there, but he was this guy that would see both sides, pull things from that, and he frustrated both sides. And it could be even both sides of his own party. But he was pulling things from these good ideas because he was very much a, a pragmatist and wanted to get things done. And it was just so interesting to hear how he interacted with so many others and pulled those pieces out and, in his case, made them effective policy to run the country. But yet he would have these major detractors on, again, even within his own party. Uh, and, and, and some of the book you'd sworn it was written about current players in today's environment, but he led, and I, it was just so interesting to see how he would pick this and pick this and pick this, bring it together and not be afraid to engage even people that disagreed with him, all with the effort of trying, for his case, it was always about the country. And uh, he, it was just, uh, it was an amazing book. And if anybody would ever be interested, I would highly recommend it. But uh, he's somebody that, uh, again, I knew little about, but when I uh, really admired what he, uh, not only what he did, but more or less how he did it. And that's, uh, that's what I think was so intriguing uh, about him. So that's my guy. We're kind of getting to the end here, and uh, I'd like to maybe just have us each give some uh, uh, some closing thoughts on, again, our topic of leadership or management. Chris, any closing thoughts? Yeah, so I just want to thank you guys for having me on. The Masonic Lodge has taught me so much, and being a leader and being in these positions, I've gained skills I can take back to my corporation. I'm not a public speaker by any means. I've been nervous throughout this podcast i but being in the scottish right forced me on stage forced me to do ritual so now anytime i I speak i try to put myself into that scottish right role that i'm playing a character to try to ease my fears and just some closing thoughts that we didn't really get to but i think a masonic lodge we can help with uh, people skills we can help having those tough conversations like you said with Ike, uh, making concessions and deals to compromise with people of differing opinions. And I did want to throw this on here real quick, too. There's uh, something that came up on our Grand Lodge page that asked if you should put Masonic qualifications on your resume. And it was a mixed bag, but I would absolutely say yes if you can defend it. I mean, there's so much we do as leaders, whether it be our, our balance sheets, um, presenting budgets raising funds, using limited resources to achieve results. So we shouldn't undersell our Masonic activity. Granted, I'm not going to say I'm the most wise master and get left out of the room, but I will tell them what I'm doing to help uh, further along an important organization in the community. So I would just say don't sell yourself short. Uh, Keep after your Masonic goals to to build your leadership skills and bring it back to your company or organization and show them what we're about. The reason I became a Mason was, wasn't because my grandpa was related to me is because he was the man I wanted to be. And he had the respect of, of other people and the integrity. And it's, if this organization was good enough for me. So that's why I followed suit. So I will close with that. Thank you. Uh, Darren, what are your closing thoughts? Well, first of all, I wanted to thank Chris for coming on here. Uh, 
appreciate uh, you being able to join us tonight, Chris, uh, and very uh, thankful to have you on the Midnight Freemasons. I think you add a unique voice to the blog uh, that we've uh, kind of been missing, so I'm, I'm so happy that you accepted to become a regular contributor. Uh, that being said, some closing thoughts. Earlier, Greg, when you discussed uh, maybe this leadership skills and uh, those types of things being part of Masonic education, I, I think that's a valid point. I just, I worry somewhat, however, because we have at uh, the Grand Lodge level, there is, uh, you know, a leadership committee or a membership development committee uh, that seems to fall more on the administrative side of things than the educational side. So uh, also, I don't know if uh, from an educational standpoint, our good friend Todd Creason could talk about it since he is state education officer for the Grand Lodge of Illinois. Uh, regarding how much budget we would have to even put on a leadership uh, skills workshop. So I don't even know if that's something that uh, we'd be able to fund, but uh, that's uh, probably a conversation for another time. I just, uh, I think that there's a certain delineation of things that uh, isn't well-defined that should be probably better defined between the uh, educators in Illinois, uh, the members of the education committee and the members of uh, the educational officer line, if you will, uh, versus the other side with the district deputies, uh, the area grandmasters, and uh, the Grand Lodge line. So I, I think that those are some things that need clarification so that we can uh, add these needed workshops to our curriculum and get uh, our brethren that knowledge that they so uh, deserve. So that's uh, basically all I had, and thanks, Greg, for the kind words. I appreciate it, as, as always. Uh, I don't know that I see myself as doing a good job in leading, but if uh, others see it, then I, I guess I'm doing something right. So thanks for the kind words. And so I, I guess my closing thoughts are, uh, and I, I brought up this topic of leadership and management just because I, I think they're so both vitally important into not only the uh, the operation of a lodge, but Learning things out of both of these skill sets are what you can take outside of that lodge room and as Chris, you said, and use in your community or in your workplace. Uh, there's no other organization like Freemasonry that offers you all of these things in, in one package. And, and there's some other great service organizations out there, but I, I just, I don't think there's any mix of, uh, any other thing that can bring your ability to grow as a leader, if that's what you want, and yet still have all those moralistic values that we, we talk about and talk about in the degrees and such. This is an important topic. Uh, I hope we will probably do some more on this uh, again, maybe in 2021. And uh, I hope love to get some feedback even from our listeners. So if you have any feedback on leadership or management or what your thoughts are, We've got a Facebook page you can find and leave those comments out there. But uh, let me just close with saying, Chris, thank you for joining us. Uh, Darren, never underestimate yourself because you are showing leadership. Because you, you know I'd only tell you the truth. If I didn't believe you weren't, I wouldn't tell you. So uh, I think you're, you're doing more uh, more good than you know. So with that, we'll end our podcast and uh, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, stay safe. And uh 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet again.